0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War Video Briefing Number 4. We're living in a uh, challenging time in this country, in our world, as I'm recording this video. The coronavirus is the talk of everyone and all the media and everything that is going on. It is Governments and militaries and everyone is concerned about the coronavirus. Well, while this may date this video, because someone may watch it six months or a year from now and it no longer even be an issue, in principle, this will always be an issue until the rapture. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Notice the coming and the end of the world are not the synonymous uh, events or terminology. Uh, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines. And pestilences. And earthquakes. In diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Or the Greek word literally here is labor pains, the labor pains of birth, that all that God has promised and said that he would do in, by, to, through his church and in this world leading up to the seven years of his wrath in punishing this world for its iniquity. And these are the, these are the beginnings these beginnings have been going on my entire lifetime, but they seem to be getting worse. Uh, we now have this scare, this uh, coronavirus scare. Many people are frightened, terrified. And the reason that is, uh, is because they don't know God. The thing that concerns me as a child of God is that many in the church are terrified And that is incomprehensible to me. How can a child of God be terrified of any of these things? We are children of God. He is our Father. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is sitting upon the throne of the universe, ruling over everything, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. He is there. And he is our head, and we are his body. So how can we be afraid that he cannot protect his body? Well, the reason that we have fear, which some are going to have a difficult time with me saying these things in this video, and I want you to know I have no desire to be offensive. What I'm saying is Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is saying it for the purpose of challenging us, Challenging our faith Challenging our commitment If my walk with God Is not enough To be armor For my life Against all of these things Then I need to reevaluate My walk with God Because there's some flaws in it There's flaws in it In a recent service I asked everybody present uh, Do you believe in the love of God? Yes How many of you believe that God loves you? Yes. How many of you believe the word of God says, perfect love casteth out fear? Uh, Most still raise their hands. And then I ask, how many of you are afraid of the coronavirus? And some were honest enough to put their hands up. Well, the reason that's the case is they don't believe God loves them. Well, they can say the words, but in practice, they don't believe God loves them. Because if I believe the love of God is so great, and if I believe that he loves me, and if I believe that perfect love casteth out fear, and I believe I'm loved, then there is no room in my life for fear. My God is in control. And if I contract the virus and die before daylight, I don't have anything to fear. This world and no disease of this world is going to threaten me with heaven. I'm not threatened by heaven. I'm not threatened by going to heaven. Now, those believers who want God to make this heaven for them and they want to hold on to all of this here and, and they want God to bless this and make this pain free, problem free, pressure free because this is their idea of heaven. They're in for a very difficult time ahead because God has no care for our comfort and convenience when it comes to seeing his will done. And since he's the only one that's able to limit himself to where by his own plan and by his own will, he will do nothing in the earth except through human agency. And he demonstrated this, that when he was looking for an intercessor so he could save, when he found none, he himself became the intercessor. When, when he is so limited by his own choice, by his own choice, to using human beings to do his plan and will in the work, in the earth, that when he couldn't find a man to do that, he became a man. And that ought to tell us something right there that we possibly live in denial of. That our God, the plan of our God, the will of God, the purpose of God is to do everything he promised to do in the earth through human agency. And that human agency, of course, is the body of Christ, those who make up the body of Christ. Now, some are in the body of Christ, but they don't live like they're in the body of Christ. They don't have faith like they're in the body of Christ. And if I don't have faith like I'm in the body of Christ, it's because I don't believe I am loved by God. Now it may be the shame of my past. It may be some other situations that have worked in my life. It may be some sin that I have repented of, but I don't really believe I'm forgiven for, even though he promised to do that. Whatever the reasons are, whatever the reasons are, I am in a place where I have to believe God loves me. Another thing that would keep me from believing God loves me is I have cares that I have not cast. Why is it that we don't cast our cares upon Him? That means completely releasing everything that matters to us to Him. And into his power. Why is that? Because we have our own way. We have what we want and the way we want it and when we want it and how we want it. And we want him to do that. Well, that's called iniquity. That's not called faith. And he will not honor iniquity because even the man Christ Jesus prayed nevertheless, not as I will, but as, as thou wilt. Now, What is a loving God supposed to do when even many of his people are living for here and now? Moses endured because he saw the invisible. He chose to suffer the reproaches of Christ rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season because he saw him who was invisible. Paul details in Second Corinthians 4 all these negative things. He talks about being dead and, and all of that. And then he comes down and says, uh, though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day in our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because we're not looking at things which are seen, which are temporal, but we're looking at things which are not seen, which are eternal. And the child of God, the member of the body of Christ, whose focus is on what they see, on the temporary, what's here now, you don't have peace. You're not going to have peace. There's nothing you can do to have peace when that is your priority. When your priority is to get God to fix everything you don't like about this world. I'm really, I I regret having to tell you, but I have to tell you. You can pray all you want, that's not going to happen. In fact, it's going to get worse. Because he promised, just like labor pains, all these are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said, just like labor pains, they get more frequent and they get more severe leading up to the birth that is anticipated. And so it is in our world. Now, those that are in Christ and those whose hearts are set on eternal things, our affections are set on things above and not on things on the earth, according to Colossians 3, those folks are in Christ and they have peace. And the peace of God, Paul said in Philippians, keeps and guards and preserves our hearts and minds because the peace of God is superior to All understanding. So I I, I trust my Father. That's why all prayers need to begin with the confession of our faith in our Father. Why? Because our Father's over everything and He's in control and we believe that. And if we don't believe that, we're never going to have peace. We're never going to have confidence in what God's doing. We're going to live lives of fear while we claim to have the Holy Ghost. It's not the case. So what is, a, what is a loving God supposed to do? What is he supposed to do? if If our loving God knows how long eternity is and our loving Father knows how horrible hell is because it was created for the devil and his angels, the original workers of iniquity, If he knows how horrible that is, is uh, are we supposed to tie his hands with praying for him to make this heaven on earth and the threats that uh, implied threats that if you don't give me what I want, you don't love me? What is he supposed to do to get the attention, first of all, of his body? First of all, of his body. What is he supposed to do to get the attention of his body so that we will pray, so that we will be in tune with what he's doing? so that he can use us as his conduits on the earth. What's he supposed to do? How's he supposed to do that? Well, there's a clue in this. I can go back to 2 Chronicles 6, starting with verse, verse 26. Solomon prayed, "...when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. Yet if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin..." When thou dost afflict them, when thou dost afflict them, your people, then hear thou from heaven and forgive their, the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel when thou hast taught them the good way wherein they should walk and send rain upon their land which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. Now, that's, that's a passage we don't use very much, but there's a parallel passage. That's used frequently. But listen to this. Second Chronicles, chapter seven, beginning with verse 13. If I, the Lord is speaking here. And in chapter six, it's Solomon praying. But in chapter seven, it's God speaking. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain. Or if I command the locust to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence or diseases among my people, what? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe what we want the Bible to say or do we believe what the Bible actually says? Do we believe what we think it says or do we believe what it actually says? There's so many people that make apologies for God. Well, That can't be God. That can't be God. He he wouldn't do that because they're speaking temporally. They're not speaking of the eternal God who dwells not just in eternity, but who is infinite and dwells outside of eternity because all of eternity dwells in the infinite God. And he knows what's coming. And if he is a God of love and he knows what's coming and we are complacent, and seeking him for comfort and convenience. And we want to be just good religious people and go through the motions. Just go through the motions. Go to church. Fulfill our obligations. Pray, because we're required to. What is he supposed to do? Should he just let us all go to hell? Because we're not going to be saved based on us doing what we think is good enough for God, but we're going to be saved by whether or not we believe the word and obey the word of God. It is faith in and obedience to the word of God that saves us because without obedience, I don't have any faith because obedience is the outward demonstration of my inward faith. And if I don't have obedience, I don't have faith. And if I don't have faith in the word, I'm not saved. And I could go to church seven days a week. I can move my my sleeping bag into the church and sleep on the floor of the building 24-7 and not be saved. Great, great apostle of God said to me several years ago. He said, I can do more in five minutes of fasting and some of these guys can do in 40 days of fasting. Because they never break. Their will never breaks. They fast to force me to do things. They fast to obligate me. They don't submit themselves to me. And so, therefore, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So... Second Chronicles 7:13 A loving God, a God of mercy and kindness and love that knows how long eternity is and knows how horrible hell is and that there's no way out of hell if you go there ever said if I shut up heaven that there be no rain or if I command the locust to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people if my people which are called by my name. There's the identifier of who his people are. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, sin and will heal their land. So (laughs) he promised to give us rain. He promised to destroy the locusts and he promised to heal us of all of our sicknesses, our diseases. After, after we humble ourselves. What does it mean to humble ourselves before God? It means to renounce our self-sufficiency. It means to surrender, to submit our will completely to God 24-7. Because not doing so is iniquity. If I live by my will, I'm living in iniquity. And I'm 74 years old. And I've been, my mother was attending a United Pentecostal Church when I was born. I've been in this all my life. And I will tell you right now, it is standard accepted in the majority of Pentecostal circles that we have a spiritual life and a secular life. And that spiritual life, that spiritual life. We do the will of God for that spiritual life. We obey God for the spiritual life. But the secular life, the rest of it is ours to run however we choose. I'm asking please, and I've asked and never had one response from anybody on it. Can you please show me in the New Testament book, chapter, and verse for any such thing? When he said, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. (sighs) When I don't own me. I don't own even one moment of one second of one hour of the day. I don't own any of it. And doing the will of God is 24-7 or I'm not doing the will of God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if I am not doing the will of God, one hour a day, one minute a day, I choose for my own to do the will of God, my own will, not God's. That's 11. That's leaven. And at the worst possible moment, that leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. And I'm going to choose my way and not God's way. That's why it's not, it's not okay. It's not acceptable. So if I humble myself, that means repent for my self-sufficiency. Repent for my prayers of iniquity where I'm asking God to give me what I want, how I want it, when I want it. I want, I want, I want. I will, I will, I will. I like, I like, I like. You can pray all that and I can pray all that all we want, but those are prayers of iniquity. They're not prayers of submission to the will of God. They're not prayers for seeking and finding and being empowered to do the will of God. That's not what, that's not it. You know, the scripture says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies your bodies, not just your inside, but your outside too. Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable servant, service. And be not conformed to this world. The Greek word therefore conform means don't have an outward appearance that is inconsistent with what you're saying is inside you. Be not conformed this world, but be ye transformed. In the Greek word, there's metamorphosis, uh, or the Greek word from which we get, literally get the word metamorphosis, which describes what happens when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. That process is called metamorphosis. And how do, how are we, I'm gonna, I don't know if this is a word, but I'm using it. How do we become metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind, Paul said. And what is the purpose of all of that? That change, that transition from caterpillar to butterfly. What is that all about? So I can find, know, and do the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And that's not three different levels of the will of God. Those are three separate qualifying adjectives of the will of God. The will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable to God. And in my life, the will of God is perfect. That's the English word, but the Greek word means it brings me to completion, fullness, maturity. It allows the purpose of God to be fulfilled through my life because I'm in alignment with the will of God. What if I'm not living like that? What if I am very devoted Pentecostal religionist, But I'm not walking with God. I go to church faithfully, I pay my tithes faithfully, I dress dress and you know, I I I I keep all the rules of separation. And I obey the pastor, but I run my life. I run my life. I I give God his time each week, but the rest of the time is mine. Where in the world did we get that? Because it's not in the Bible. How is, how is a loving God supposed to get our attention and talk to us? How is he supposed to do that? Well, shut up, shuts up heaven, calls the locust to devour our efforts, and he sends pestilence among his people. It's a sad thing when there are people Who are people of God who are in fear of this whole thing? Fear. Terrified. Terrified. Well, I think what you're saying is foolish. Really? Let's check back with one another a year from now and see what the difference is. See how your fear protected you and whether or not my faith protected me. Wanna do that? I don't mean that sarcastically, but this is not the will of God. Perfect love casts out fear, all fear. There is, because why? There's there's torment in fear, and I can't have peace if I'm tormented. And fear is the opposite of peace. I have peace if I believe God and trust God. I have fear if I don't believe God and don't trust God and don't believe he's in control and I have to take over protecting myself. Well, good luck with that, and I don't believe in luck. See how that works out for you. But what if our God is too loving to just let this play out? Let it play out. How, well, what happens if he's too loving for that? What happens if he's not willing to stare eternity in the face for us and hell in the face for us and do nothing? What happens if he loves us so much that there isn't anything in our life that is off limits to him that he can use to get our attention and bring us to a place of repentance and faith and no fear and peace? If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, Give up their self-sufficiency. Surrender their will to mine. And pray. Pray all kinds of prayers. All types of prayers. Just put prayer as the first priority in our lives. Jesus said it quoting the Old Testament. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what we're supposed to be. Prayer should be the first priority of our lives. Church attendance is worthless without prayer, without prayer being our priority. All of the offerings we give are of no benefit to God if they're coming from prayerless people. All of our praise and worship is really of no value to God. If it's coming from a life that is not submitted to him. No, all of our outward separation becomes just rule keepers. If it's not based on a prayerful committed relationship with the lord jesus christ how can, how can how can he let this go and then he said if we would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face you see that takes prayer to a completely different level that proves that prayer is not supposed to be something you do it's not a task to complete but prayer is actually fellowshipping with the with God, His face. And the phrase seek his face means to seek His presence, to be connected with Him, in His presence, to be a part of Him. And what happens? And turn from their wicked ways. Well, let me tell you something. If you and I did these first three things, humble ourselves and give ourselves to prayer and seek his face and fellowship, turning from our wicked ways won't even be an issue. Because if I want to abide in his presence, his presence will convict me of things that I need to no longer do or things I need to do that I'm not doing. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. He promised that if his people... That if, if his, if he could get his people's attention and they would come to him and humble themselves before him and pray and seek his face, his presence. <coughs> and the implication of that is seeking his will. They would turn from their wicked ways. Why? Because, because repentance isn't just turning or changing. Repentance includes the concept of surrendering our will. How can I repent for something that I don't believe in my will is wrong and I have no intention of trying to stop doing because that's what I will to do. I choose to do that. I like that. I want to do that. How can I repent for that? Can I truly repent for something that my will does not agree is wrong? No, I cannot. I can't. So turning from my wicked ways, repentance, isn't just, my friend, about uh, a religious act of confession. But it is, when he said if we would confess our sins, First John chapter 1, verse 9, the Greek word there is homologio, which comes from two words, uh, to, speak, to speak the same thing as... To speak the same thing as. So, to speak the same thing as. Homo logio. In other words, confession is me agreeing with God. You're right, Lord. That's wrong. You're right. That's, that's not. That's not your will. It's wrong. I, I cannot do that. I shouldn't be doing this, Father. And I won't be doing it. By your grace, I confess. I speak in agreement with you, Father. This is wrong. And by your grace, I repent. And I not only agree that what I'm doing is wrong, but in my repentance, I surrender my will to you, that by your grace, you will empower me to no longer do that or to do what I should be doing, I'm not doing. The Bible says, for him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not, to him it is sin. If I know I'm supposed to fellowship with the Lord in prayer and I don't do that, It's sin. And sin is to miss the mark. To miss my portion, my share. And I can't have a portion or share in God if I'm missing my mark. The Lord promised that if we would humble ourselves and pray and seek seek his face and turn from his wicked ways, then he would hear from heaven and he would forgive our sins and he would heal our land. But just how... How how sad is the situation we're in? And how much do we need his intervention to get our attention to bring us to him? Some of the most pointed words, and uh, I, I, I guess I could use the word pointed like the Lord spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus, how hard is it for thee to kick against the pricks? And the pricks was a sharp stick that oxen drivers used to goad their oxen and keep them moving because they needed the impetus of that sharp stick. And so these are pointed words. The scripture says the words of the wise are as goads. So here's some wise words from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 64. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. How in the world is the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is clean in lightening the eyes, Psalm says. How in the world is the fear of the Lord going to come upon this world when those that are partakers of his divine natures that have been filled with his spirit that have their, his name called upon them, do not have the fear of the Lord. Paul said in Romans three, there is no fear of the Lord before their eyes. When there's no fear of the Lord before my eyes and I'm in the process of growing from spiritual immaturity to maturity, then I don't have the motivation I need to not sin. Now, when it changes from fear to love, then okay, okay, that's what every child goes through. Uh, I know that this world freaks out with the idea their child the children should be uh, should f- respect, fear, reverence their parents' authority, but they should. And children don't obey because what their parents are telling them to do is wrong. They obey because of the consequences if they don't obey. But as, as a ch- child gets over, older, and, 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 and you're still exercising that, there comes a point where that child is no longer doing what the parent says because they're afraid of the consequences. They're doing what the parents say because they love the parents. Now, I was uh, like four years old, and my dad was at the time an unsaved sailor, and with all of the things that sailors have been uh, uh, fairly or unfairly classed as being and doing, he had a very salty tongue, and uh, he didn't control it around the house or around me. Well, that was my dad. He was my hero, and so he was at work, and I used some of those words and my mother was horrified, and when she he got home, she told him what I did. And I was four years old, and he came to me and said, after uh, getting my attention through chastisement, he said, I don't care how much I use these words. You will never talk like this the rest of your life. I better never hear you ever say these kind of words again. I don't care how old you are or how big you get. If I hear you talk like this, I will I will wear you out. I believed him. From that moment on, I never used profanity the rest of my life. Now, at 12 years of age, I was six foot tall, and he was still five foot eight. But he seemed like he was 12 feet tall, and I felt like six inches tall because I never said, well, I'm bigger than you now. I'll do what I want to do. Oh, no, no, no because it changed from fear of the consequences to love for him. And I never talked like that again because it was that important to him that I never began to talk like that. And when I went to the Naval Academy and I was one of 1,400 freshmen and very, very few of us had, ever, had been raised in June of 1964 to use profanity. But in that environment, by the time plebe summer, they called it, was over with, or that was the Naval Academy's version of boot camp for incoming freshmen. By the time the summer was over with, probably going into that summer, ten less than 10% would have used profanity. And by the end of the summer, probably 90% could not have said one sentence without some kind of curse or swear word in it. I didn't. Why? There was no church here to to go to, so it wasn't afraid of what the church was going to think. And I was raised in the navy, and I didn't have a pastor because I was in seven different churches, and none of them claimed me after we left. So I wasn't afraid of what my pastor was going to say. But I could hear my dad say, "You're never going to talk like that." It was important to him, and at that point in time. I'm a grown man, so to speak. I'm 18 years old. I'm now at the Naval Academy. And when I got out of the car on the morning of June the 30th, 1964, uh, and, and, uh, hugged my mom and dad by, I've never lived at home under their roof since that day. I was an adult, theoretically speaking, but I, I respected them. Now, it wasn't just them, of course. I knew it would displease my heavenly father to talk like that. So I didn't. So we need to go from walking in the fear of the Lord, which is clean and lightening the eyes. And by the fear of the Lord, we depart from evil. The scripture says to loving, obeying him because we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Anybody that says they bypass the fear of the Lord and they're only living Uh, according to the word of God, out of love. They are very dishonest and disingenuous. They're not telling the truth because that's not God's process. It's called conviction. And nobody gets biblically saved without conviction. And what is conviction? Conviction is the faith that God is who he says he is. And that he means what he says he says. And that if I don't choose to align myself with him, that I'm going to pay the consequences for not doing so. That's the fear of the Lord. Now, he doesn't make me do anything, but he tells me what the consequences are if I don't choose to believe him and obey him. So what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to do that? So, I'm back to reading Isaiah 64. I'm going to start over again. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, terrible not like we use the words, not oh, he's terrible, no, or he did terrible things no, the, w- the word terrible here in King James sixteen eleven English is he did things that brought terror, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eleven says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, why? Because people will not get saved without conviction, and conviction is the fear of the Lord working in our lives, convincing us that we don't want to go that path. We want the good things of God. We don't want to experience the consequences of ignoring him. So when thou didst things, terrible things, or things which brought fear to our lives, which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear Neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what, hath, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. God is not angry at us as humans. He's angry at our choices. The same way we would be angry at a at, at a child stepping off a curb into the traffic, the same way would be we would be angry at a child playing on a set of steps that he might fall down, or uh, the, or, or angry with that at, at a at a child playing with a knife. They have no way to comprehend how dangerous it is. I mean, if you saw your child about to step out the street, would you whisper and say? Johnny, don't step in that street. You might get killed. No. Johnny! No. Why would we do that? Because our urgency would compel us to get their attention. And if we, being evil, know how to get our kids' attention because we love them, how much more shall our heavenly Father get our attention because he loves us? We're living in a world of iniquity. The spirit of iniquity is already at work, the Scripture says, except he's supposed to be being restrained, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The devil doesn't restrain himself. Somebody with the power to restrain him is supposed to do that. But what if the one with the power to do that is not being able to do it because his conduit, his agency, his vehicle for accomplishing that is not cooperating? What is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to get our attention and bring us to the place of being cognizant of the fact that he's got a plan and that we are his plan and that he intends to do what he promised in the earth. But he has he has the authority and the power to limit himself and he did to not do anything in the earth except through human agency. Why else would he teach us to pray? For us to pray, oh, Father, sanctify your name. And, Father, let your kingdom come into manifestation in the earth that your word might be confirmed. And, Father, as your will has already been purposed in heaven, let it prevail in the earth. Why should we have to pray that if he's going to do all this stuff by himself? It's his name. Let him defend it. It's his kingdom. Why don't he manifest it? It's his will. If he wants it to prevail, why don't he do it? Wrong. Wrong. It's not his plan. And what happens when the, those he, he intends to be his conduit for his plan to come to pass? He's too busy praying prayers of iniquity. Give me, do for me, I like, I want, I wish, I desire. What happens? What's he supposed to do? Huh. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, we didn't expect. Thou camest down; the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what He hath prepared for him that waiteth for Him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth at the work of righteousness, and those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we are sinned; we have sinned. He's, he's angry at the sin, not, not. Angry at us in the sense that he still loves us very, very much. I mean, he's got nail scars that proves how much he loved us. His face has been rearranged more than any other face, according to Isaiah chapter 52. His back looks like a plowed field. All of these are eternal evidences in the body of Christ that proves how much he loved us. And to what extent, extent... an extreme he would go to, to demonstrate his love for us. And so when he sees us not believing that, not submitting to that, not giving ourselves to him for, for our sake, first of all, for his sake, second of all, so that he can do his word and will through us, what is he supposed to do? He's got to get our attention. Isaiah confesses this. He said, for we are all as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of our deeds that we've done to earn his approval are filthy rags. They're not a beautiful robe of his righteousness that was put on us. We've exchanged his robe of righteousness that we got in water baptism, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, for rags of self-righteousness. And what is that? those things that I'm doing to attempt to earn and from God and obligate God to do my will, well, I'm sorry to tell you, if I give my body to be burned, give all my goods to, to the poor, I'm just sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, and he's not obligated at all. He didn't want my body to be burned. He wants my will to be submitted. Not asking for all of my goods to be given to the poor, he's asking for my will to be submitted. That's what he's asking for. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses, our self righteousnesses, are as filthy rags, and we all do all do fade as a leaf. What leaf? Because when Adam and Eve were innocent, they were naked but didn't know it because they didn't have any shame. But when they sinned, their eyes were open and they saw their nakedness, they were ashamed. So they tried to cover themselves. And what did they cover themselves with? Leaves. Leaves. And what did they make with those leaves? Aprons. Now, aprons are not full garments that cover you. They're not. So they covered their immediate areas that caused them shame by their exposure. But all of those self methods, and that's all those those, uh, fig leaves were, was at man's attempt to cover his nakedness. Because by the end of that chapter, when God got ready to cover their nakedness, he made them coats of skins. And those those coats covered them from neck to ankle, probably, or at least close to that. Well, where did God get... Skins from to make coats out of in the garden when there had never been any death in the garden. Somebody had to die. Something had to die. We know by typology it was sheep, and sheep are the only animals that were ever made without any built in defense mechanisms. Sheep have always needed a shepherd. Adam was their shepherd. So sheep that Adam had a relationship with as their shepherd, their caregiver, died in his place. He knew those sheep that died. Blood was shed. Life was taken to make him coats of skin. And our all of our righteousnesses, which are our good deeds, our good works, don't do that. The only righteousness that will cover us of our shame, cover up our sin in the sight of God, are robes of righteousness that were bought because life was taken and blood was shed of an innocent one, of an innocent one, one who's not guilty of our sin and our death. So, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, our self-will, our lives live by our will, and asking God to bless our will, like the wind, have taken us away. The wind has taken us away from God. Our iniquities are like wind that take us away from God. Living by my will and calling it spirituality is a lie. It's a lie. Running my own life, making my own decisions in anything is a lie. It's iniquity and it takes us away. And here's the consequence of that. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee for thou hast hid our face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Jesus help us. Jesus have mercy upon us. But he loves us so much that while our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and our God, I think it's in Isaiah 59 that says that, he loves us too much to leave us like that. So he's going to get our attention. And he's not just going to use pestilences to do it. He's going to use persecution to do it. He's going to use wars and rumors of wars. He's going to use earthquakes in diverse places and other other things like that, things that will cause those that are not walking with him in his will to have terror, so much so we will call them terrible things. But this is how quickly we adjust to that. According to what I read yesterday, so far this year in the United States, over 2,000 people have died of the flu in the United States alone. Since January 1. As of yesterday, from the best information I've got, there have been 21 deaths in the United States of the coronavirus. But nobody's talking about the flu. Nobody's talking about the flu. Nobody's talking about 2,000 people that died. No, because it's become a normal part of our life and it can't be used to get our attention. It did years ago. Spanish flu, Asian flu, all of that. Ooh, boy, it, it caused kind of a similar disruption here, didn't it? Everybody got their opinion. I read uh, that it, one version of the Spanish flu, 650,000 people died in the United States from it. There were prayers that were prayed. There was people that repented. People got right with God. But things got better. And when things got better, we would go back to living by our will and go back to our prayer lives, our religious prayer lives, as before. But our God loves us too much to leave us like that. He is going to get our attention. And those who fear him come under conviction and believe him are going to pray are going to repent. What the Holy Ghost has called for me to call for others to do is to, for March through September to at least one day a month, to have a 24-hour prayer chain in every church that will fast that day on that prayer. Whatever day you choose as a church, on that one day a month, That 24-hour prayer chain, it is a time of repentance from our iniquity. It's a time of getting a hold of God so that he can get a hold of us and mold us and make us and prepare us to be used of him. I am discouraging any spiritual warfare from being done during this period of time. Why? Because we must repent of our iniquities. We need to let him stir us up to seek after him. We need to let him stir us up to get a hold of him. And we need to repent so that we can find his face again because he's hidden his face from us because of our iniquities. But we need to repent of our iniquities. We need to, by his grace, surrender our whole being to him, including and especially our human will so that we can walk with him every day, and live in his presence every day, every day, every day, every moment of the day. Why? Because we're his body, and we're his conduits for his will and word to be done in the earth, for his power and authority to be demonstrated in the earth, for his love to be broadcast through the earth, through our lives. It's his will. So in October, the plan is to ask each church to pray and fast, pray, do a prayer chain and fast one day every week for the first three weeks of October. And then a concerted worldwide prayer chain for those that will participate every the tuesday, wednesday and thursday tuesday, wednesday, thursday and friday night the last week of october we're going to pray. We're all going to come before the throne together. I will be streaming directed prayer for those that want to utilize that during that time, but you don't have to do that to participate with this. You can have your own prayer meeting wherever you're going to do. I there will be people here praying in Annapolis, but I am strongly encouraging you not to come to Annapolis. It is important for churches to get together where you are, your church to get together and pray during that period of time and get a hold of God and let God get a hold of us. And in that month of October, because we will have repented of our iniquities, we're going to let the Lord use us to be restrainers of the spirit of iniquity in this earth. For the sake of the word of God and the will of God and the revival and harvest of the lost. The revival of the church and the harvest of the lost. That's what we're going to pray for. And we need the spirit of blindness prayed off people. and We're going to do that. We're, we're going to do that. But the devil does not have to listen to anybody that's not submitted to God. He understands authority. He doesn't have any. He's got power. But he understands authority and he knows he doesn't have to listen to anybody that's rebuking him, taking authority over him who is not submitted to the Father. Because the devil only submits to you and I in the same proportion and to the same degree that we're submitted to the Father. Sicknesses, diseases, demons to be cast out. Prayers to be answered. These things do not submit to the unsubmitted. This natural realm does not submit to those that don't have spiritual authority because they have not submitted their will to God and received the delegation of his authority to use in submission to him. But if we do, oh, my friend, if we would, what could God do in this earth? Several years ago in a church, he gave this this message of prophecy. He said, if I can find one to pray, I can find many to save. In, Ecclesi- in Ezekiel chapter 22, he talked about the horrible condition his church was in, if you read that. But he got down to verse 30 and said, and I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I would not have to destroy them but I found none and I poured out my wrath. God is looking for those who will pray so his word can be fulfilled and so he can obey his own word. Because if he doesn't live, go by his own word, he ceases to be God because God can't lie. And if he said this in his word, but he does something else that's contrary to his word, then he's undeified himself in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the spirit of grace upon you and I and upon the body of Christ in the earth. I pray the spirit of prayer upon us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the spirit of supplication, the spirit of warfare intercession, the spirit of travail intercession, that we might seek the face of the Lord God and do his will as he has called us to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that you and I would allow the Lord Jesus Christ to use us and to work through us to do his will in the the earth. There is nothing more powerful that you and I can do than be conduits for his word, his authority, his spirit, his name, his love, his blood, the fear of the Lord, the conviction of God in the earth to see the church saved and to see the lost saved saved. God bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching.